In 2003, um, a conversation was held right about the month of May. And what I was trying to do is to get our teenagers at the time in our, at my student ministry in Virginia Beach to realize that um, they can make a difference in their community too. Our church had recognized that uh, while we were quite large, we didn't have a real impact in our immediate community. And uh, the staff were trying to figure out how to handle it. And I, and I said, well, you know, I'm the missions and youth guy, so how about we start with the teens? And so happily, they handed it off to me and went on to other important things like the color of the carpet or something like that, <laughs> fixing the stained glass, I don't know. Um, and so what we did is we started to have a series of meetings with, with our teen groups and some of the different people in the church who were contractors and business owners, say, how could we do it? So we formed a thing called the Judea Ministry. The idea was simply this, that we would take um, really 13 to 19-year-olds, and we would teach them to do community service projects, and we would learn how to rake properly, because there is a right way to do it. We would learn how to, how to mow grass properly, use weed eaters, paint, clean windows, uh, vacuum carpets, not me, other people, you know me, I don't do vacuums, uh, but there was this whole thing where we would learn how to do these things and serve people in our community. It was our hope. And so we called it Judea Ministry. It got going, and it was, it was interesting. We had lots of training meetings going forward. And uh, we had some painters come in and would teach our kids. His name was Randy Madden, by the way. He would teach our kids how to scrape properly, how to prime, and how to paint. And so we had 13 to 19-year-olds learning how to what he called chase a bead in painting. And they, they would paint these perfect lines with trim. No tape? What are you kidding? That's for your parents. These kids were amazing painters. Um, they learned how to mow grass, do all that. And then we had the steel chainsaw company. It was right on Damneck Road, right up the road from us. So um, <clears throat> we went over there and we did a training day for everybody 16 or older uh, to learn how to operate chainsaws and weed eaters. And they, they taught us how to do it, trained us. And uh, all was really good. And so our start day, we were actually going to open business and start serving in our community, was going to be September the 15th. 2003. Now, for most of you, that means very little. But if you lived in the Hampton Roads area around September 15th, 2003, you would have known that when Hurricane Isabel came in, it was absolutely earth-shattering for that area of the country. It had rained for almost two weeks leading up to this. When Isabel came in, the storm surge was unprecedented on American soil, and it hit ground as a, as a Category 3 right on the Outer Banks and in Hampton Roads. It was bad. Things went medieval pretty fast in that area of the country. And although they recovered fairly quickly, people forgotten about Isabel because we remember Rita and Katrina and Hugo and some others. But here's what happened the morning after the storm. At the church, almost 100 of our teenagers gathered around with their leaders and they were ready to go. They had rakes, they had chainsaws, they had ready, they, everything they could bring, they were ready to go. And so we began to serve our community that morning, which in a lot of ways meant getting trees out of the road, um, calling the, calling the um, utility companies to let them know where power lines were down, where people couldn't function, <clears throat> uh, bringing food to people and getting people to shelters. We started to serve our community. And after uh, just, just a day of work, what, what happened was they organized us to say, there's so many of you. What we'd like you to do is go street by street by street over here in Hampton um, and just start cleaning out the streets and letting people get out of their driveways, let emergency vehicles get in and out, let the utility companies get in and out. So we did. That's what we started serving. And all of these kids were there every morning ready to go serve. They all had on their bright blue shirts, had the Judea ministry, and, and they served and they served and they served. And if you've done disaster relief, right about day three, the body starts to wear down. <clears throat> day four came along, and we were down to maybe 60 teens at this point. People were tired. They were tired. Um, 
the, the fifth morning, um, we had a good crowd showed up, but our kids were tired, and they were saying, how much longer are we going to do this? I don't think the people are realizing. I don't think they care. Uh, somebody griped at me yesterday because I drug a limb across her lawn and killed some of her plants or something. And, and it was just, there was tension, and they were getting tired, and we were praying every morning, <clears throat> God, give us the energy we need, the strength we need to do the job. So as our kids were depressed, we were in our buses and drove our big vans, whatever you call them. Uh, we drove over to this one particular street, and I'm going to say this without losing it like I did in the first service. We pulled in on the street, and uh, oh my gosh, um, people were coming out of their houses. And they were coming from the streets that we had served the days before, and they started clapping. And as our buses pulled in, our vans pulled in, these people are out there clapping, and they had gathered... Um, they had gone to get donuts from the Dunkin', which had opened again, and they had Dunkin' Donuts, and they had food, and they had drinks for our kids, and they were clapping. And all day long, people from those other streets came and worked alongside our kids, and they worked on that street, and they cleaned, they cut up tree after tree after tree, and got things off roof, and covered roofs with tarps, and uh, cleaned up glass from broken windows, and pumped water out of basements, and scraped water out of carpets, and and all day long, they worked on that street alongside the people that they had helped. Every time a Judea project ended, here's what the kids did. Everyone would go to the homeowner, and, and uh, come here, Brian, you can be my homeowner. They'd walk up, and they would say this, thanks for letting us serve you today. Jesus loves you, and so do we. And every single kid would say this, every single job we did. And they did good work. I'm not here to tell you that they were just teens doing teen-level work. They were pros. And to see a 16-year-old handle a chainsaw well and bark orders at the people who had their jobs to do and to do it systematically in an organized way and in a safe way and to clear driveways and to get it done and then walk up with a cleanly swept driveway and say, thanks for letting us serve you. Jesus loves you and so do we. It had an intense impact, intense. The paper came out to do an interview. Uh, they sent pictures and cameras and all that stuff out because word had gotten around what the kids were doing. And they did exactly what they were trained to do. They said, please turn the camera off. Can we interview you? No, you may not. Can we get your name? No, you may not. We're here to serve in the name of Jesus. That's all you need to know. Thank you. Please, please don't take pictures. They did. Some of the pictures made it into the, to the dispatch there. And uh, some, you know, there were some things like that. Next thing you know, the phone's ringing off the hook with lawsuits and lawyers and all that fun stuff. Thanks a lot. Uh, we handled it. It was good. But the impact that was had in those kids' lives and in the community's life was intense. And they saw the hands and the feet of Jesus lived out at a time when it was really needed and necessary. Fast forward your clocks about two years. Isabel was bad. But Katrina and Rita were earth-shattering. 48 hours after Hurricane Rita, our team was assembled in Memphis and ready to go. About 65 of us had gathered, were ready, our machines, our equipment, our gear was all ready. We were waiting for them to tell us that we could go, and we could go south and start working. And we did. As soon as they let us go, FEMA and the other authorities, National Guard and all that, I don't know where Dennis is, but Dennis held our team up, by the way. And so we, we got to go, and we, we, we headed straight down. We came to a place where, the and I don't remember the name of the road, but it was, it was, it was a division one way or the other. And um, we were working with a team from Illinois and one from Indiana, and I think there was a, maybe a, a team from, from one of the Dakotas. Um, and they said, this road is going to go down. It's going to open up to I-10 and go down. They're trying to get I-10 open so that the relief trucks can all get down there. And this one goes off over to this side of the – it's going to go to a place called Picayune, Mississippi, and over to Bay St. Louis. And then there's another spur road goes off to a place called Bogalusa, Louisiana. 
and uh, can you guys go that way? We said, sure. And so we did. And there we go, all night long. We had put uh, lights on the top of one of our bobcats, and we kind of duct tape them and rigged them on there with bailing wire to get them to work, and we're running them off 12 volts and kept blowing bulbs. But they would work for a while, and uh, we, we all night long we were working. And um, we got the road open, and there came a point, I think it was about 4 o'clock in the morning, you could see lights coming the other directions. And everybody's like, oh, civilization, yay, we're all excited, electricity, you wonder. But we realized pretty fast it was flashlights and cameras and... And uh, so, so as we cut, people started cut, cutting this way, and, and we were opening the road. And behind us, for about two and a half miles, are relief trucks and vehicles and FEMA vehicles and the Red Cross, always ready to take credit. Uh, we're all back there behind us. And as, as we got the roads opened, uh, we were able to move aside, and they were able to zoom and hit it. And they got into Bogalusa and to Picayune and to Bay St. Louis, and uh, relief efforts happened. About a year later... We didn't know this had happened. About a year later, we were in Arlington, Texas, and Kim and I had gone with a group for a convention to kind of debrief the work that our team had done. And they were trying to figure out how, how do we allow teenagers to work in environments like that, because clearly it's too dangerous. Uh, and they were saying, how did you get that to work? How were you able to get 14 to 19-year-olds to come down there and swing in chainsaws and loppers and drive in bobcats and machinery and, and do all this work and you didn't have any injury? How do you how do, you do that? How do parents give permission? So we were going to talk to them about it. So we're at this convention, and uh, there's about 15 to 1,800 people in the church at the time, and somebody's got a video they played, all nicely produced by this point. And the video was shot in Vogelusa. Uh, pull it together, Shannon. And uh, it goes like this. There's a camera, and it's shaking, and it's running, and it looks like something out of Blair Witch Project, right? And, it, and it's running like this, and they say, come on, they're here, they're here, they're here. And the camera's shaking, and, and they're saying they're here, and other lights are coming on, and people are following, and the camera goes up, and it bangs on the door of the Methodist church, which is where the, the shelter was at the time. Pastor's name was... Doggone it, I forgot it. I'm looking at Mom, because she was there not too long after, uh, but... He answered the door, and they, he said, what's going on? And they said, they're here, they're here. And he goes, who's here? And they go, the Baptists are here. <laughs> and the camera shakes, and it goes on, and then it clicks back on, and the camera's sitting still, and you know what you see off in the distance? You hear the chainsaws running, and you see our sorry lights that are strapped up on the top of one of our, our bobcats, and they're cutting the road open. And the people are like, get saws, go help them, go help them. And the other people are coming the other way, and the road came open. And it was really cool because you could see at one point the lights go off like this, and then here they came, vroom, 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 vroom. Vehicles just roaring down the highway, heading south to get to Picayune and Bay St. Louis. And they went right past Bogalusa. Thanks a lot, guys. But, but they uh, left Bogalusa for another week and a half with no power, phone, electricity, water. But the vehicle's just roaring by. And they came up, and as they're running up, you could, you could see them get up to there to say, thank you, thank you. And some of our people, uh, Joe, I forgot his last name, saying, we're glad, we're sorry. <clears throat> sorry we didn't get here sooner. We came as fast as we could. And then the, it ends with this question, do you have any water? Yes. You know, and so they're racing back to unload waters and bring them forward and to bring forward formula for the kids and diapers and, and, uh, and water pumps and all the tarps and all the other things that people had brought. And they dropped off at the church and packed our trailers full. Pace America gave us two 32-foot trailers. Um, and they said, just, just use them and bring them back when you're done. So, so, of course, we put our logo on the side of it and didn't bring them back. But, but we, uh, they, they, loaded the, they loaded the trailers up, and we would come up in the mornings and just piles of water and diapers and things to take. Here's what happened. Because of what people understood 
after Isabella, as bad as Isabella was in the Hampton Roads area. They understood other people are going through this now, and we need to help them because we saw the impact that it made when the Church of Jesus Christ mobilized and served people in the name of Jesus unapologetically with the gospel on their sleeves. That's what happened. That's the impact that happened. Friends, lives are changed forever because of the work that they did. Now, we had a little ratio. We had kind of a six-to-one ratio normally. For every six teenagers, an adult would be welcome, but we would prefer you didn't come. We kind of liked the 12, 15-to-one because I wanted the teens to own it and police themselves. And what we learned was with no curfews, um, with very few rules, we had a list of do's, but very few rules, our teens would police themselves. They would motivate one another onto acts of love and good work. Our teens would get the job done with excellence because if they didn't, you'd hear this phrase all the time, Jesus paints behind the door. You're not done. And, and you would, oh, yeah, okay, okay, go sweep the driveway. You're not finished. Hey, those limbs, are you going to leave them for the 80-year-old lady to clean off her road? Jesus paints behind the door. Go. And so that's what they did. Now, I tell you all this for this reason. Lives were changed by the kids who did the work and the people who received the ministry. And it was all done because that's what the hands and feet of Jesus are all about. They're about serving people in the name of Christ and making a difference when it really, really matters. They did something. They did something. And it just didn't cost them that much. All of our equipment was donated. And look, Steel doesn't donate nothing to nobody, okay? They're a great company. That's all good and well, but they don't do any donating. But they gave us everything. We got new saws. Every time we came back, we would turn in thousands of dollars worth of machinery that we just used for one relief effort, and they would come out and thank us and take it all back and give us brand new machines. What do we owe you? Nothing. You just have to come back in for safety training. Awesome. Why? Why would a company do that? Because they see that good was happening. Here's the breakdown. When we do it in the name of Jesus, unapologetically, the altruism's a bit different. You see, there's all kinds of social justice causes. There's all kinds of of mercy missions that go on every day. But they don't have any kingdom value. They have immediate value. We're being good Americans, and hey, I'm all about that. I love it. I'm not anti-Red Cross. I'm not uh, 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 anti-name the agency. I think they're great. UNICEF, others, go for it. United Nations, go for it. Love it. Appreciate what you do. But when the people of Jesus do it in the name of Jesus and for the kingdom and for kingdom value, the results are going to go long beyond a bottle of water or a driveway cleared or a meal served or a shower provided or a hurt bound. They're going to last forever. You see, this is what we're called to be. We're supposed to be the people who come bearing the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Hey, church, let's do something as a people in our community and in our peninsula. We're probably not going to have a hurricane in Wisconsin, okay? But your neighbor might need their driveway shoveled or their walk shoveled. The elderly person up the street who's lonely probably could appreciate a visit or somebody raking their leaves for them. The person who's sitting in hospice counting the days could probably use a friend who would come by and tell them that we haven't forgotten you. You're still loved. Read them their favorite book. Read them something out of Scripture. Pray with them. There's all kinds of things we can do that have kingdom value. So that's what Do Something is about. It's not about just hearing the Word, 
but being doers. Our study is, has begun, and uh, each week we look at Hebrews chapter... Can you get that screen working for me, Dave? Uh, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24, and it says, Let us think of ways to motivate one another onto acts of love and good work. The idea being that we need to get out of ourselves and invest into other people. So things of kingdom value are how we started our study. We were looking at things that last forever, matter forever, things that matter to the king and that should matter to us. Those are things of kingdom value. The second week, Pastor Joel was here, and he was talking with you, and I was up north being a Baptist. It was great. Um, and uh, we talked about unlikely superstars, what it is that God would use you to do amazing things, remarkable things. And we looked at some biblical heroes, anti-heroes, that God used to do some amazing things. You had Peter who was continually failing, putting his foot in his mouth, going the opposite direction, having to be corrected, having to be reinstated by Jesus over and over. But wow, eventually, look what Peter became. We're able to look at Rahab. Rahab, some of you had to explain what that is to your daughters and sons, but uh, she, well, you know, she was a professional. Uh, So we had to talk about what Rahab did and probably answer, what were Joshua's guys doing there anyway? Hmm, a lot of places to go in town. What are you doing at Rahab's house? We had to look at Gideon. Come on. If there's ever been an anti-hero in the Bible, it's got to be Samson or Gideon. My teens used to call him Gideon because he just over and over and over did the dumbest things possible. Yet God empowered Gideon. When the Spirit of the Lord was on Gideon, Gideon did remarkable things. And so is the message to you and I. When we are operating for the cause of Christ in the way that God has empowered us and serving Him, the Spirit can come on us and do remarkable things for the kingdom of heaven. And you too can do amazing things because my bet is most of you are probably a little more qualified than Rahab and Gideon. Amen? Okay. The key concept we needed to understand is that um, the writers of the Bible are, because remember, the Bible is God's word in human voice. Remember? Did Joel use that term? No? Oh, I'm going to get him. The Bible is God's word in human voice. And while... Paul, who wrote much of the New Testament, was by any measure unqualified for the job to be an apostle of Jesus, that God's transforming effect on him is the amazing story for Paul, and that the biggest book in the Old Testament in Isaiah, Isaiah gets in front of God, and how does he respond as soon as he's in the presence of God? Woe is me, I'm a man of... Okay, I got a foul mouth. I got a negative voice. I'm a complainer. I'm a backbiter. I'm a gossip. And and Isaiah's like, ah, I have no business being in front of you. If that's the guy that gets to write the biggest book in the Old Testament, God can use you for something remarkable too. And the key point to that was the, the authors of the Old Testament were divinely inspired, but they were not themselves divine. And you know what the great message is to you? You know what it is? Anybody figured it out? I'm just going to tell Paul. The rest of you can listen if you ain't got it figured out. Paul, it means you don't have to be divine either because God can use you to do remarkable things for the kingdom, even though you're a deeply flawed guy. God can, God can use each and every one of us to do amazing things if we're just willing to be used. That's that key point. So today as we come into this um, the message, we're going to be looking at tools of the trade, how God has uniquely gifted each and every one of us to do uh, his work. And there's two areas where those gifts are going to come to play. They're going to come to play in the church and in the culture. Okay, note takers, you got that? In the church and in the culture. God's going to use you to do the things that He wants to see done. He can do them without you, 
But don't you want to be a part of doing things that have kingdom value, that thieves can't steal, moths can't eat, rust can't destroy, floods can't wash away, and recessions can't make invaluable? Wouldn't it be better to invest in things of kingdom value? Everybody's doing this? Yes. How can we do that, Pastor Shannon? We're going to look at that in the church and in the culture. Those are our two things today. But I bet, I bet, many of you will resonate with a story. Now, this is not an indictment. It's just a let's be honest. Many of us are going to resonate with a little story. Down in, in Texas, uh, where Kim and I lived for a while, we um, went out to a ranch that we worked at from time to time to do a thing called Mission Outdoors, where we worked with kids from the inner city, coming from Haltom City in Dallas, Fort Worth. Uh, some of them would come all the way up from Houston. And, and uh, they would come to this camp, and we would teach these kids outdoor skills like uh, fishing and horseback riding, and basics of agriculture, uh, and then they, they did uh, riflery. I taught long-range riflery. We would just spend the day with these kids, and, and it really had an amazing transformative effect in their lives. Uh, but out there at that ranch next door, we had an, another rancher, and he was, a, uh, he was a sheep and goat rancher, okay? Um, I did not know that sheep had horns, Call me ignorant, I had no idea. Um, and then that they would take them off on, on a lot of the sheep so that they wouldn't be bad. But um, we went out to this ranch one afternoon, and I said, well, how do you know the, the sheep from the goats out here? And we're just walking around looking at them, and they all seemed to have had horns, so I couldn't figure out. And some of the sheep were dark and some were light. And I was like, how do you tell them apart? And you know what he said to me? This is great. He said, uh, turn your back for a second. I said, what do you mean? He said, just turn your back on them for a second. You'll find out real fast who the goats are. I said, okay. So I did. And what happened real fast? You know, what's the goat do? What? It butts. Goats butt. That's what they do. Sheep obey. Goats butt. Okay. And so it didn't take long before they were butting, 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 butting. If you act like a sheep, you do what your shepherd tells you. When you act like a goat, there's always a but. And what do those buts look like? When you act like a goat, you say, but I'm not good enough. Um, but people will say I'm too young. But I'm not smart enough. But the mistakes of my past. But my time is just so limited. But we don't, don't we just pay people to do that? And we make lots of excuses. Rather than saying, how can I be used and go do, we make excuses and we act like goats. And I think we're better than that when we're transformed by the renewing power of the gospel of Jesus. Would anybody agree? So let's find ways not to but, but let's find ways to say, I'm going to do something that matters. So let's look at these. In 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 12, 1 Corinthians or 1 Cor 14, 12, however you like to say that, since you are zealous for spiritual gifts, seek to excel in building up the church. Seek to excel in building up the church. If you're a builder, if you spend time building, you make something that's not there into something great that is lasting. If it's well built, it'll last a long time. In the Greek language, when these words were being written, Paul did, did not actually say, uh, build up the church. Many of your translations will use the word edify. Do you have that in your translations if you're looking at edification? And edification or the building up, in its original language, the word was oikodome. So oikodome has this. It means literally patient labor, systematic construction, a meticulous process, the work of a craftsman. It's building up. Let me back up one slide. I said that wrong. What it literally means is the building of a house. Now, how many of you are in the trades as builders? We got Dave over there. Anybody else who's a builder, a mason? No? Only, only one hardworking guy in the room. What do you know? 
when builders build, they come and they do exactly the right job as a craftsman because they know that their job is important and it lasts. When they do it well, people look at it and say that's good craftsmanship. And when this word was used by Paul, he's saying, I want you to do this for the church. I want you to patiently, systematically, meticulously work like a craftsman to build up the church. This is edification. And since we are given gifts by the Holy Spirit for the edification of the church, what we need to be thinking about is that the things we're called to do are meticulous, they're patient, they're intentional, and we're part of doing something that's much bigger than just ourselves. Let me give you an example about church that might help. How many of you are familiar with the great medieval cathedrals of, the, uh, of England, of Europe? You've seen the pictures of them? The Remarkables, Westminster and some of the other. These amazing cathedrals. They're gorgeous. Did you know that on average it took about 250 years to build a cathedral? Now think about that. How long are you going to live? I mean, I'm 47. I'm counting the days. It's any day now, right? We might live, what, 80 years, 90, rolling, 109? What is it? What do you got now? As the older, the older we get, the more we realize our time matters and the things that we do matter. Those craftsmen in the ancient world, they would realize there's no way they're going to see the completion of that cathedral. All right, is it dawning? The light's coming on? They realize that their effort, their energy is in this, which is a part of this. And that the day is going to come when that cathedral will be done. The cathedral to them was an expression of the value that they placed on their relationship with God. That building was edifying just by its presence. It drew your eyes upward. It drew awe and majesty out of people, and it offered it to God. That was what the cathedrals were about. And so the story goes, there's a man who's working in a, in a quarry, and he'd been working in this quarry his entire professional life. He was a mason, and as he's cutting away, he's making just a small piece, and it would, it would be one of the buttresses that would go up. It was ornate. It had all kinds of neat filigree on it and, and Christian fish symbols and the roses and everything, and, and it was this one piece, and it would take him years to carve that particular piece. And as he was working on it, a man came up to him, and he was looking for a story, I guess for a paper or something like that, and he says, uh, so uh, what are you doing there, sir? And the response he gives back to the man was, I'm building the house of God. What he understood, that craftsman, this was his part. And if you were to look up and look around, there would be dozens of other journeymen who were cutting and carving and making out of the raw stone other pieces and parts of the house of God. And all together, they were part of the ones who were edifying. Whoop, did you get it? They're all together edifying. And people for a thousand years will come. And they will walk into that place and their eyes will be drawn upward. And they will see the magnificent architecture. And they're looking upward in the direction of heaven. And as they look to the stained glass, the story of God and His love and His redemption. And the people who followed Him were being told in the stained glass and the architecture of that cathedral. <laughs> Juxtapose that, by the way, about how irritated folks were here for the four months we had to be out of the building while they were renovating. Just, just saying they invested deeply because they understood this. The edification of the church empowers the church now to go be the hands and the feet of Jesus in their communities. 
There's a problem, though. There's a problem with those cathedrals. They point to something very real. They point to this. Those people in that time, and they're people of their age. Let's not judge them by our our age, but they were so focused on the church and their stuff that they took their attention and their eyes off the community and the world around them. So they were more focused on building there and keeping there and edifying there and gaining power and wealth for themselves that they failed to remember that they needed to go and take the gospel to the uttermost parts of the earth and to take the gospel to the far reaches of their county and take the gospel to their neighbors and meet the needs of people outside the church. They were edifying here, but they forgot that the church is called here and there. And this still happens today. Am I right? It still happens that, that churches are far more obsessed and concerned with their buildings and their architecture and their holdings and their programs that they forget why all of those incredibly important things are there in the first place. They're there to equip the saints to do the work of the church, was to go share the gospel of Jesus Christ in word and in deed, spurring one another on to love and acts of good work. So there's two parts to this. And we're out of balance. The American church, this church, you and me, we're out of balance. You got to have both. It's, it, it's silly and it's immature and, and somewhat myopic to say, well, we don't need the organized church. We'll just go and serve for the cause of Christ. We'll go out there and we'll make this difference. That's, that's nice. That's, that's good. There's, it's not evil. It's just that it's, it's immature and it's, it's childish. Because, you see, you go, but you're not necessarily equipped and prepared and supported which is what the edifying of the body does. You see, the facilities empower the programs, which empower the people to do the work of the church. The temple facilitated the tabernacles, which empowered the home churches, which empowered the apostles and the missionaries. The pattern is so profoundly clear. Somehow we lose track, and we instead of seeing that, we get only focused on our temple and our programs. And we forget that these are here to equip the saints to do the work. The other childish end is to say, we just need to do the work. But they're not equipped with the discipling and the doctrine and the theology and the edification and the support that they need to go do the work of Jesus with. So I think it's time for Sturgeon Bay Community Church as well as all the American church, to do this right. We need to do something that matters because we're all building the house of God, not just that building, this building, but we're building the people that are going to be where the Spirit of God resides and whose example is seen all the way around us. Now, here's a a true statement, a trustworthy saying, as Paul says. The teenagers that went out from Kempsville Baptist Church and worked in the Hampton Roads area, and later worked in Florida and in Kentucky and in Texas and Louisiana and all the places they went, Mississippi, all those places, they went and they served as the hand and feet of Jesus Christ. Do you know where they learned to act like that? At the church, which was edifying and building them up. Most of our teens at that church had come up through our children's ministry program, and we had a whiz-bang children's ministry pastor in Jerry. 
And those kids learned what the gospel was. And they learned about doing for others. And they learned their scripture verses. And they sang their songs. And they did VBS. And they did upward basketball. And they did Awana. And they were constantly reinforced and reinforced. And what happens is when you fill up a bucket, what happens? It overflows. And so the overflow is that these filled up, equipped Christian teens went and did what Christians just naturally do because they had been filled and they had been edified and grown. And here's who they were edified by. Great people who were gifted as teachers who taught them the word of Jesus. They were people who were great at games and recreation. They were just fun, you know. And, and what they do? Those kids played games. There were some athletes who were really good at what they did, and they taught those kids to play soccer and to play basketball. And our church figured out a way to take upward basketball and turn it into an upward soccer program. And we did it in, in, in Virginia Beach, across uh, Estados Unidos, and later in Brazil. And they went and they did upward soccer in Brazil. And kids heard the gospel as a result of it, and many of them gave their lives to Jesus, and changes happened in their lives. Why? Because there's the overflow of full buckets. That's what the church does. Do you understand that we edify here and then we go with the gospel there? That's the call. And God gifts us to be able to do it. Now, we do this together. Not as one, but together. Mutual edification is the, is the driving practice of the New Testament Christian community. We see the perpetual evidence of them together and doing things for one another, as one another. Let me give you some really, really fast kind of uh, rat-a-tat-tat examples here. Um, in Jesus' ministry there in the gospel, um, in Matthew 25, we start to hear these words, let us celebrate together. Mark 10, 9, uh, not one may separate what God has joined together. Luke 15, 6, when he arrives, he will call together his friends and neighbors, saying, rejoice with me because I found my lost sheep. Luke 22, 8, go and prepare the Passover meal so we may eat it together. Time after time, example after example after example, together, together, together. Together, together, together. There are no lone wolf rogue Christians. That doesn't work. It's never worked. It's always been about the body edifying and building up one another. As we go from there, we can go a little deeper into just the early church examples. Acts, Romans, Corinthians, just a few. They traveled together, ate together, chose leaders together, resolved issues together. They gathered to be encouraged. That's edify, oikiodome. Um, they did good works. They worked all things together. They were heirs together. There was value in working together. They praised God together. They were at the temple together. Uh, hear me say, at the church together. They were spending all that time together because that's where edification happens. You can't edify yourself. You picked up on that? It's kind of hard to build yourself up by using all the spiritual gifts for yourself. I have them all. I use them all for me. No, no, you don't. No, it's broken. They're given to you to give. It's a gift to share. They're given to you to stop, stop napping. Listen, to steward. You're given a gift to steward. It's not yours. You use it for kingdom value. That's the point of doing it together, and that's why the church exists. So, yes, the church must go out and do, but we must be together here. We must invest into the training and the discipling and the edifying of the body of Jesus Christ. But church, we cannot stop at that point. And this is the danger and the, the collective failure of us as the American church. 
We're so busy doing all that discipling and happening and programming, which is critical, that we forget to say, now, go do something that matters for the cause of Christ beyond our own walls, beyond our own friendships and companionships. Do we agree? Okay, so what's it look like in the culture? A couple of verses here. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. That's Jesus said that, so it has some, you know, some credibility. Uh, John, the disciple that Jesus loved, his closest companion and friend and understanding uh, leader with him, said, little children, let's not love in word or speech, but in action and in truth. Jesus' brother James said, faith without works has no life in it. It's dead. It's lifeless. It's a, it's a fraud. If your faith does not drive you to do good things, then something is broken. Listen, if the discipling, if the edifying, if the training and the building up and the equipping doesn't cause your bucket to overflow and to go serve others with what you've learned, to go love others with what you've learned, then something is broken in this process. And I think that's the indictment we need to respond to as the church. Can we start here? Can it be our church that begins to say, before we criticize any other church, let's make the difference happen now. Let's as a people say, we're going to do something about what we've learned and have impact in our community and in our peninsula and in ours. Let's, let's not just talk in, in words and speech, but let's do. So what does this loving one another look like? I'm going to read you a quote here from Tony Evans. Okay, I like Tony Evans. I don't care if you don't. Um, so it's one of those eat the fish, spit out the bones moments. But I love Tony Evans. I love his style. Uh, makes me want to go work in a black church every time I listen to him preach. I'm like, I could do that. I can work there. Dr. Evans says, Biblical love is the decision to compassionately and righteously seek the well-being of one another. Compassionately and righteously seek the well-being of one another. That's biblical love. That's tough. Because people can be unlovable. And it goes on to say, by this, the Bible does, all people will know that you're my disciples, that you love one another. If that's the symptom of being a Christian, how many of us would be found guilty of having the disease? Pretty profound, huh? You like Tony Evans a little better now all of a sudden? If that's the symptom, love, then God give us the disease. Let us genuinely love Him and love other people so that we righteously and compassionately seek the well-being of other people. People like you who are sinners. People like you that Christ died for when you're still, you know, you. Not the perfect you, but you. Do you know you? Think about you for a second. Do you want to live with you? Would you like to have to spend the rest of your life married to you? Oh, wouldn't that be great? Another one just like you. Thomas, you in? Sound good? No. No, I'm not ripping on you in particular. I mean, I could have picked on anybody. I mean, I can go back to Paul if you like. But the reality is that all of us are sinful creatures, and all of us exhibit character traits that are inconsistent with the cause of Christ, yet Christ loved you. And we're called to love each other as well. And love is always easy, isn't it? It's always just simple. Who's married? Go ahead. Let's see. Who, who else married in here? Paul, you better put your hand up. You're in enough trouble already. 
Is your spouse always lovable? Be really quiet. Don't say this out loud. Is your spouse always lovable? Do they always do things that are totally exhibiting compassion and selflessness? Is that true of your spouse? Uh, wait, a minute, wait, wait. Is it true of you? You see, we're all guilty of being sinners, yet Christ loved us and died for us. We have to go serve people who are like us and love them the way that you would want to be loved. It means that that person who wastes their financial resources on addiction and then doesn't have enough to eat or pay the bills. Why are you judging? Love them anyway. Love them enough to say, I want to feed you and I want to help you. We want to come alongside of you because there's a journey that you need to take from making foolish decisions to making wise ones. And because patience and long-suffering are two of the fruits of the Spirit, I want to exhibit those as the body of Jesus to you. And I want to edify you and draw you into this family so you can be built up and edified and become more like Jesus. And when your bucket is overflowing, you're going to go out and serve people too. And what it looks like is a church full of ungodly people who are learning to be godly. It means that in our midst right here, there should be alcoholics and homosexuals and liars and cheaters and selfish people and gluttons. That's what the church of Jesus better be made up of because those are the only people, right, that, are, that need love because the perfect people figure they don't need it anymore. They got it all. So let's be the edifying body that pours into people and then turns our attention outward and serves people. That's how you do something. And that's what Jesus told us to do. So if it makes you uncomfortable, you probably need to ask why it makes you uncomfortable, that you might get dirty serving the cause of Jesus or have to sit next to somebody in church that you don't agree with because here in this place, a place for sinners, we're loving one another and growing in our faith encouraging one another onto acts of faith and good works. Is it all starting to make sense? You see, it's a fabric scripture. It all comes together. And it's why the good people of Jesus' day had such a hard time with Jesus' message. Because he calls imperfect people to come and to serve, and to serve, and to grow in your faith, and to challenge one another. So, what's it look like in our community? Well, a scripture and then a couple of points. If anyone has this world's goods and sees a fellow believer in need but withholds compassion from him, how does God's love reside in him? Little children, let us not love in word or speech but in action and truth. This is how, well, excuse me, we'll know that we belong to the truth and will reassure our hearts before him whenever our hearts condemn us. For God is greater than our hearts and he knows all things. Dear friends, if our hearts don't condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive Whatever we ask from Him because we keep His commandments and do what is pleasing in His sight. Now, this is His command, that we believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as He commanded us. The one who keeps His commandment remains in Him and He in Him. And this way we know that He remains in us um, it's from the Spirit that He has given us. When the Spirit resides in us, we go do things. We're driven to do even in our imperfection, we're driven to do because that's the posture of God's people. We're doers, not just hearers of the word, but doers. People who act upon what's happened on the inside. The change of heart leads to a change of action. 
Remember the sage words of my granddad. What's in the well comes up in the bucket. And if what's coming up out of the bucket is selfishness and dishonesty, then that means that's what's on the inside. But the evidence of the Christian is that what's coming up in the bucket, the overflow of the bucket, see, is acts of love and good works. And that's how we know. It's not just words or deeds, but it's our action. So what can the action look like, you say? Well, in our very own community, we have a few things we can begin to offer. I would encourage you in your life groups as individuals to say, how can people who love Jesus Christ begin to have an impact in our community by going to organizations in our community, which may or may not be 100% devoted to the love of Jesus, but could be radically impacted by people who are? What if you join so many others in the life of our church who work with the Boys and Girls Club? There's the number. It's going to be up on the website this week. What if you decided that for a season you were going to help volunteer and demonstrate love and care for people at the Boys and Girls Club? The Volunteer Center of Door County is always looking for help. Wouldn't it be an amazing message if the people at the Volunteer Center called our church in a couple of weeks to go, hey, what is going on? Every time we pick up the phone, it's somebody from Sturgeon Bay Community Church saying, hey, uh, what can we do to help? Where can we volunteer? We want to matter in our community. What an incredible testimony that would be. Thank you for letting us serve you. Jesus loves you, and we do too. Oh, you can't say that if you work here. Fire me. 98% of your volunteers come from our church now. We've taken the last year to completely overwhelm your organization with the love of Jesus. Fire me. Kind of a nice position to be in, huh? Loaves and fishes. This Friday night, September 29, our church is going to be doing the whole thing, the feeding for loaves and fishes. Are you apart yet? A lot of you are. But what if every Friday night, three times a month, people from Sturgeon Bay Community Church were actively engaging and being a part of Loaves and Fishes, feeding people who can't always provide for themselves here in Door County? Well, there's three examples. Let's keep going. Baking for Loaves and Fishes. Miss Sue Tomes is doing a lot. Is Sue, are you in this service? Uh, doing a lot. Not this one. Uh, Miss Sue is doing a lot of the baking for Loaves and Fishes coming up Friday. Can you bake? Do you have an oven? Do you have a Betty Crocker cookbook? Uh, can you ask Sue to give you a recipe? You can do this. You can be a part of this. Your life group could be a part of doing this, not just then, but in other times. How about neighbor to neighbor? Right here in Door County, neighbor to neighbor helps serve people. What if, what if their phones were ringing off the hook by life groups and people from Sturgeon Bay Community Church saying, I'm full of the love of Jesus. I've been given these gifts and talents. I need to do something that matters. Getting on the phone with them to say, how can I help? How can I be a help to your organization? Feed my people, clothe my people. Hey, you drive by it every day. A bunch of us don't. How many of you people drive by that just about every other day or two, right? It's right over there. Can we help? Can you work in the store? Can you, can you sort clothes? Can you, can you serve people? Can you, feed? can you do that out of the love of Jesus Christ? And when somebody asks why you're here, say so. Surgeon Bay Community Church, we just really believe that we're called to do something in our community that every one of us needs to be a part of doing beyond ourselves. And we want to do it out of the love of Jesus. So that's why we're here. Oh, let's make a few people uncomfortable to where they have to hear the message over and over and over again to where eventually it occurs to them there might be something different about people who are transformed by the renewing of their minds. Samaritanspurse.org. Samaritan's Purse is probably, in my opinion, the preeminent disaster relief and uh, people caring for agency in our nation right now. And it's not that other agencies don't do a good job. It's that they do it in the name of Jesus Christ. And when they go and when they serve, 
And when they do things for people, when they relieve the, the pain of disaster and provide a way for somebody to have electricity or water or supplies or a shower or a meal, they do it in the name of Jesus Christ, boldly and without apology. So every time it happens, every time relief is offered, people hear and see the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Kingdom value. Moths can't eat it. Rust can't destroy it. Thieves can't steal it. Changing economies can't devalue it. It's forever. And that's the kind of work they do. Want a couple more? Thursday nights at Prince of Peace, our sister church over there with whom we've always had a really good relationship, feeds people in Door County every Thursday night. People who may not be able to feed themselves. Sometimes, listen, sometimes it's financial reasons they can't. Others, it's, it's somebody's been widowed or somebody is a widow or somebody just has no time and they can't, or it's the end of the pay cycle, or they've been laid off, and Prince of Peace feeds people every Thursday night. And it's a really sweet time, and they take care of a lot of folks by doing that. Some of them, their minds aren't what they should be. Yet they know that on Thursdays they can go and they're loved and they're, they're welcome and they're fed, and people sit around the table and have conversation with them. And it costs them nothing. What a beautiful picture of the body of Jesus. Pastor James has carried that on that, that Pastor Nathan started years and years ago. And we have had people from our church working with them over the years to help make sure those Thursday nights work. But James and I had a conversation a few weeks ago. And he said, Shannon, we're thinking about doing it on Tuesday nights as well. Ian? I said, I think so. I think our church can renew that partnership. I think our people would love to do that. That Prince of Peace and Community Church go back to doing some things together and actually feed those same people that need to eat other than just on Thursday nights, that we feed them on Tuesdays too. And he's saying, can your church jump in? If we do it together, we can do it. I said, I think so, James. I think there's life groups in our church that would probably say, yeah, we could do that. Hey, I can stir potatoes. I can serve people. You know, I can wash some dishes. They've got the cooks over there that do it. All we need to do is help. Anybody in? I mean, what an amazing impact. They've got the perfect facility and location for it. Our day will come. We'll, we'll build the facilities one day to be able to do this. But right now, can we help brothers and sisters in the faith do that over there on Tuesday nights and Thursday nights? How easy. Friends, this is a short list of things that we can do to have impact in our community for the cause of Jesus. So how do you find out? Well, you can go to our website, to the to do something.church website. Over the course of this week, we'll get these things up. I think Pastor Joel and the crew up north is going to be putting some things you can do up north too. Uh, but primarily, we're looking for the, the Sturgeon Bay surrounding area here in the middle of Door County. So we'll put those up, and you can get in, involved and see if your life group uh, or maybe your family can get involved in some of these different projects. I think it'd be great if we're doing something that way. How do you find out, though, how do you edify in the church and how do you serve in our community? Well, Ms. Denise had mentioned to you just a little while ago um, that we are beginning our Origins 2 class, which is looking at the grace gifts that God gives the people um, who come and follow Him as His believers, that we're empowered to serve. And Origins 2 is going to give you an opportunity to identify what your gifts are and give you the beginning uh, nuggets of how can I begin to use them. That's going to happen here at the church uh, starting on the 22nd of October, the 29th, and then the 5th of November. It's going to be led by Penny Souther, who's waving at you right now, uh, probably one of our preeminent teachers, and you guys haven't had the opportunity to dine at that table yet. Uh, my mom is ready to start teaching again, and I'm going to tell you every church we ever served in, it was well known who the best teacher in the church is. So now that I've set the bar really high, I'm expecting amazing things. 
Now, my mother really is a fantastic teacher, and uh, God gave her that gift, and she does a fantastic job. If you don't know or you haven't heard in a while, it'd be a great class to attend. It's three weeks on a Sunday night. You can record the game, okay? You're going to be all right, but let's serve God rather than your team. I was careful there. Let us think of ways to motivate one another on to love, acts of love and good works. As our worship team comes up to close us, what I'd like to ask you to do, would you, would you bow your head, would you close your eyes, would you just get in the presence of God for a moment? Maybe you and your spouse, the person next to you, would you, just, would you focus in on God right now? God has called each and every one of us to grow in our faith, to edify believers within this church, within your church, and to serve the community around you with acts of love and good works. This is our calling. It's not just a good idea or a campaign. This is the evidence. These are the symptoms of what it is to be a Jesus follower. And if you don't have the symptoms, the real question needs to be asked, what's the matter with you? Jesus gave his life for us and called us to a life of deeper meaning and fulfillment. Don't we want to share that with other brothers and sisters and share it with the community around us? Because friends, if we're not doing both of those, we're guilty of that very thing. The church that's inwardly focused, the Christians who are fakes. Let's not be that. Let's change the narrative in Door County. Father God, this morning as we've gathered, we've gathered here to learn, to be convicted, to be edified, to be encouraged. But Lord, in these moments of silence to come, I just ask that you begin to lay on the hearts and the minds of those of us who are gathered here, where can we go do something that has kingdom value? Lord, these next moments are yours. Would you just open our minds and begin to show us, reveal where you're asking us to go and to be difference makers, to be the hands and the feet of you. Pastor James McDonald said, have you ever felt your role is not significant? Perhaps you can't see your part and doubt that it even matters. Even if you feel like you don't have a part, even if you can't see your place, your place is there and seen by your God. You matter to God and you matter to his church and you matter to the community in which that church is placed. You have a place and what you do is greatly needed. If Christians through our own human failings have made it difficult for you to find that place, don't stop looking. Try again. The church and your God need you. Father God, our prayer is that we would take those words to heart and realize that we are needed. My contribution, my place matters. Lord, let us focus on the edification of the church 
and the reaching of our communities by doing things that have kingdom value. And we just ask God today that you begin to convict us strongly that we place equal value on edification and serving. We pray these things in the name of Jesus, our Lord and our Savior and our friend. Amen.